Welcome to Campbell and Cohen's Kooky Quarantine. I'm Seamus Campbell. <laughs> I'm Ben Cohen. And uh, my name is Michelle Elmer. I guess I'm today's special guest. <laughs> Every guest is special. Have done the introduction. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, um, Michelle, tell us about yourself. Uh, so, um, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Um, I've been involved with the Democratic Party for actually almost 10 years now, but, you know, I was a lifelong Democrat before. Um, Got started with my um, college chapter at uh, Cal State University, Northridge, um, largest Cal State in the state of California, and uh, just pretty much went on from there. And basically, anything you can think of in the Democratic Party, anything, um, leadership positions, whatever, I've probably done it or know somebody who's done that at some point uh just got reelected. i was on the um our primary ballot for our democratic central committee aka the los angeles county democratic party and top vote getter of course it really, <laughs> which it really doesn't matter because it's the top seven people that get elected anyway but you know it's, it's, it's nice okay to know. Top, top of seven okay yes that, top don't, of don't, seven. Count yourself, don't count yourself short well, what I found very interesting about it is, um, so our central committee, um, at least in, in LA, it's done by assembly districts. And it depends in some parts of the state, it's done by assembly district and other parts it might be done by supervisor, um, supervisor's district. Um, my central committee only covers two thirds of my um, assembly district and I received, um, let's say, I think around 16,300 votes. Um, and that was more votes than any of the people that were running for assembly in the, any of the Democrats running for assembly in the entire district overall. I mean, there was like, there was four, four Democrats and one person that dropped out but was still on the ballot. And, um, of course, granted, there is that split, but at the same time, they had a much larger geographical, um, you know, a, a much larger piece of geography to um, get votes from. So, um, unfortunately, that is a district the Democratic Party lost um, in this year in California um, for many reasons. Um, it's complicated. Uh, our current assembly member, Christy Smith, who is um, running for Congress, she's running for Katie Hill's um, seat. Uh, she, you know, she was basically it, and there's, it's hard to find somebody to follow in footsteps like that. So, hopefully, um, you know, we can Christy get her to win on May 12th in the runoff, and you know, hopefully again in November. But it, it's not going to be easy. <laughs> the listeners and you all probably can't see this, but I'm knocking on the wood of my chair right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, let's face facts. Like Katie Hill should not have been forced to resign. Like she did nothing wrong. Her ex-husband is an asshole. She was essentially punished for, yeah, mm-hmm. being the victim of a sex crime. It's great. I mean, I, I guess I've known Katie Hill. Um, I've known her personally since she first started running about three years ago. Um, I never, her husband, um, I only met him a few times. Uh, I just did not have a very positive impression of him. And kind of in retrospect, I see what, you know, I, I can kind of understand what happened. Um, yeah, I mean, I believe her, of course, you know, he seemed like, you know, he's, that that was awful. You just don't do that to somebody. 
Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it has made things just, again, a little difficult because, you know, we have to, you know, figure out how to keep that seed. And, you know, eventually something was, unfortunately, we had to, you know, sacrifice an assembly seat to do so. Actually, uh, like, I got to know her just from that Vice series uh, that they were doing. And actually, there's, they were also covering, at one point, uh, someone named Morgan Zegers, who was running for assembly in New York State. And mm -hmm. somehow she and I have actually become friends. Like, we disagree on just about everything. Mm -hmm. But we seem to, like, agree. We have, like, some sort of commonality in that we can... There are some fundamental things we agree on. Like, for instance, she believes very much that uh, a lot of more resources for veterans, which both my brothers were veterans. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's sort of a weird, I wouldn't say, it's, I don't even know how to describe it, but we get along. Like, we only mm -hmm. chat really on Instagram, but, you know. Mm -hmm. So, how's everyone's quarantine going? Or whatever you're doing. <laughs> quarantine, social distancing. Mm. Um, well, because I have no judgment at all, I uh, participated in starting a podcast recently. <laughs> so that should tell you what my freedom, frame of mind is. <laughs> so how's that working out for you? You know... I do like to talk and I assume people <laughs> want to hear me talk, uh, but I don't know how much of that is real and how much of that is just my gargantuan ego. <laughs> Listeners, you decide in the comments. <laughs> no, um, it's been fairly, I don't know if I want to say smooth. I mean, I'm working from home. I'm, I'm an attorney and I work for a nonprofit. We still have stuff that comes in, albeit at a slightly slower rate right now, though I wouldn't be surprised if that picks up soon enough. But it also looks like I'm gonna be keep continuing to do this for the foreseeable future. Um, Kansas is under a stay at home order effective until at least April 19th. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, same here shortest commute to work I've ever had in my <laughs> life. You know, it was about a 10 minute drive before, which isn't exactly bad. Uh, now it's, you know, rolling over into my workspace at home, which is <laughs> all of four feet away from my bedroom door. For me, it's, I'm also working from home, obviously. Uh, I escaped listeners. You'll probably already know this. Uh, my, my my family to Long Island, where my family has a house, so we're escaping the more restrictive stay-at-home orders in this New York City. So uh, we, we actually just installed a new desk that my mom is using for her job. So I took the old desk that was in our den, and so that's my little workspace, which is right next to my bed. So basically, all I have to do is just roll out of bed and all 36 inches. Uh, but things still come in. I manage the website for a college, so, you know, things are just constantly in flux. Uh, I did find out today, actually, that my boss is listening, is a listener to the pod, and I told Ben about this, so, so I'm hey, sort of worried about... Boss, give him a raise so that we can afford nicer microphones for the show. <laughs> I'm not actually well... going to do anything formal, so... Really, she can't really do that. It really comes down to uh, the New York State Legislature, which right now is deciding on a budget because it's due at midnight. So New York State Senate and New York State Assembly, give me more money. 
this add in that line item, Seamus Campbell. Yeah. If it helps, if there are any members of the New York State Legislature listening, uh, I was born in Western New York, moved away when I was at the tender age of four, but you know, close enough. What part of New York were you born in? Uh, Buffalo. Oh, how did oh, wow, I not okay. know this? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, since most of my income is currently from a job that I work at home, I um, I. I sell, I do e-commerce, I do vintage and antique resale um, at Fishy Vintage on Instagram. Um, small plug there. So that hasn't really affected, you know, my work a lot, except the problem is now I can't go out and look for things to sell because that's not considered essential. You know, you should be going around looking for um, non-essential things to sell to people. So I am finding um, sales have gone up a little bit because I guess people are bored and they're like, let's just buy something fun. Why not? <laughs> um, you know, again, um, well, we'll see how long that lasts until the economy crashes again. But um, so, yeah, it's been a little, it's been tough though. I mean, a lot of stuff's gotten canceled. Um, can't go to the gym anymore. Um, so I just, you know, again, living in like one of the most, densely populated parts of the country and you know um largest most densely populated counties in the country i'm kind of like i'm just afraid to be near people right now because most of them are just i don't know you know i don't know if you've been following a lot of what's been coming out of california news but a lot of people you know they're just they unless like those particular type of gatherings are banned people will not stop doing things. Like we had to shut down all our beaches and trails because people would not stop crowding there. In LA, we had to shut down all our farmer's markets because again, people would not stop crowding in those places. Um, so I, it's, yeah, it's kind of challenging on that front, you know, to, I mean, I'm surprised there haven't been more like, you know, we haven't like started to go back to the time of speakeasies or whatever. And, you know, or like, you know, those, we have. or I guess a modern, well, I guess I'm not cool enough to know about any. So, well, <laughs> so there was a story in, there was a story in New York, uh, I guess it was the New York Daily News last, late last week about how one, I want to say it was a bodega. They actually decided to turn themselves into a speakeasy. And so they were actually having like, they had like a party of like 70 people there and mm-hmm. everyone drinking and cops were called and they had to break it all up. It, it was straight out of like prohibition era. Well, I guess if, if we're going back to the twenties, we should bring that back to why not? Um, oh, I've actually been like looking. The fashion back? Because <laughs> you put me in one of those pinstripe suits. I could, I could probably rock that. <laughs> I actually was looking online the other day on how to brew your own alcohol and not for drinking purposes, but actually just the way <laughs> I could make my own uh, hand sanitizer. That's so all it is. It's just anything that's over 60% uh, alcohol by volume and malavera. Turned out it was actually not as easy as I thought. It's not just yeast and sugar. So. No. <laughs> I mean, I guess one of the good things is at least in California, they've, they're starting to loosen our liquor laws a little bit. So like restaurants, as long as you buy food, you can get alcohol to go. So yeah, you can, you know, you can get cocktails. You just have to buy, you, you, your purchase has to include food. So. Get a sealable I'm, lid on your Mai Tai. Yeah, no, I can work with that. So yeah, I mean, that's, or just, you know. Or just ask for some of the peanuts or something, you know. 
But um, yeah, so I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But I mean, I guess it sounds like maybe, though it sounds like things might like not get as bad, hopefully. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so uh, changing topics, um, Ben, how is it um, being the um, latest chair of the YDA Jewish Caucus? So for those who are listening, I was actually chair of the um, Young Democrats of America Jewish Caucus from 2015 to 2017. It's been good. Um, a lot of the board that got elected with me at the Indianapolis convention last year are much newer to YDA. And I don't know, there's a little bit more energy to them than I think I've seen, not to, not to insult anyone who's been on Jewish caucus leadership in the last few years, because I'm still friends with a lot of them. Um, and, but it, it's been good to see, I mean, the discussions are a lot more robust. We've had some more interesting ideas that, you know, sometimes logistically we haven't always had the means to get off the ground, but I think there's a lot more spirit for what we can do and what we can stand for as a caucus. Do you want to tell Michelle about the, uh, how you started your caucus meeting in uh, uh, Birmingham? Sure. So, uh, Michelle, you know Mm -hmm. what a uh, Fabringen is, correct? Uh, Yes. Okay. You know, (laughs) even... Even some Jewish people, it's, you know, sort of an orthodox thing, a little bit more obscure. But for listeners at home who wouldn't have any cultural grasp on this, the nutshell version of it is that it is a roundtable discussion Mm -hmm. with a lot of booze involved. And I decided, because I would like when we have, you know, when we have our in-person meetings at all the quarterly meetings of YDA, to focus on local activists as our guests and to orient our meetings around them. We weren't really able to get somebody lined up like we initially thought we were going to for the Birmingham meeting. So I called a little bit of an audible and I just said, you know what, this is going to be our first time in the same place together since our board was elected in Indianapolis uh, at the summer convention last year. Let's just do something fun and casual uh, and I wanted to do something that would really introduce a lot of YDA to the caucus because most caucuses in the organization are very insular. They have, you know, they're their own cliques, they have their own agendas, and they really keep that to themselves unless they, say, have a resolution that they want the national committee to sign on. Mm-hmm. So I decided I'm going to take away, say, the prayer aspect of it, but I'm going to organize a Fabrinian. Um, just get everyone around, get what I thought would be a few bottles of wine. I had a few members of the caucus that were going to be in attendance, help me prepare for this. So we were well stocked and I just used the room we were assigned to say, Hey, everyone come in, pour something for yourself and ask us any questions you want. And it was all about like, I wanted to let people learn about not just the caucus, but about what the experience about being a an American Jew is like, what the experience of being a politically minded Jew Mm -hmm. is like. And I mean, the first half of it was very, very productive in that sense. We had a lot of people come in with some very thoughtful questions. And we had what I thought was a very good discussion. After Mm -hmm. a while, people just found out that the Jewish caucus was pouring drinks early on Saturday. And so they came (laughs) for that. And that was fine because everyone made new friends. And it also made r- rules uh, committee, which was right afterward, a lot more fun and I fun have and productive. That. 
Okay. Um, I think I remember we did something well similar to that. I think it. Let's see when we had the meeting in uh, Minneapolis a few years ago. Except we didn't have the alcohol. Ah, my mistake. <laughs> see that. I know what the people want, Michelle. <laughs> and a bunch uh, of young, you know, millennial-aged politicos uh, want to, you know, make bad choices personally. Hmm. Well, I remember in my tenure, it's like, I think one of my fo big focuses was like to have some sort of programming at every um, national committee meeting. And I mean, I thought we were fairly successful um, in regards to that. Um, I think one of my, definitely one of my favorite meetings of that time was, I think we had Representative Steve Cohen at the Memphis meeting come talk to us. That was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's, I know it is really tough, but I mean, sometimes you just really had to, you know, um, work, you know, have the state chapters, you know, really go out, go to bat for you, you know, to get somebody to come talk to you. And I think most of the time, most people pretty much came through. Wait, so it was really good. In the Alabama meeting, I did have people with the Alabama Young Dems who I was working with who really did try. Mm -hmm. um, some of it was just timing. And so I decided mm -hmm. that I would make something fun out of it when that's what we were left with. Um, you know, for the lamented, if, you know, still just postponed meeting that we're going to have at some point now in Kansas, being that that's my home turf, I've had that sketched out for a long time. I had, no, of course, yeah. Uh, and I just wanted to do a big old sort of question and answer forum to talk about what it's like being a, you know, a Jewish democratic organizer in a deep red state like that. And that'll still happen, um, but massive advantage for me there just being my Well, sister. yeah, of course. I know mm -hmm. all these people, and I can just sort of send them messages and say, hey, we're doing this now. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, at the Birmingham meeting, and then also the one that was supposed to be scheduled for this past weekend, my caucus meeting was very first thing after breakfast, so... We weren't going to be able to do anything with like any sort of alcohol or anything, but we all, I, uh, I know Ben Bloody has Mary's some speakers. What? Bloody Marys. Mimosas. <laughs> Marys. Come on. You can do it. I believe in you. Mimosas just, you know, it's just champagne okay. or sparkling wine and orange juice. There you go. <laughs> Take your pick, man. I'm not, I'm not saying no. You put the idea in my head. I want you to think this over. I want you to talk with your leadership about it. I'm guessing they'll be supportive. We believe in you, man. I can see some of them going for it and some people being morally uh, appalled by the whole thing. Morally? And basically, <laughs> morally, they'll just think that I'm just doing something completely wrong, but I don't know. However, when I just say I'll pay for the alcohol, they'll probably fall in line. Which there you go. <laughs> You know, um, no judgment. If you want to drink at nine o'clock in the morning, you know, go with God. It's just, it's so hard to think about like the future because, you know, it's like, you know, this is just not going to be over anytime soon. So how do you like reschedule like any sort of like giant big event? Like, you know, for, I mean, I know some like conferences have, you know, like rescheduled for like later in the year or something, but it's like, how do you do it? You know, how do you, since you have, you, we have no idea what's going to be happening in the coming months, for sure. I was on a conference call last night, uh, and about some, and one of the things that was brought up was about the DNC. Mm -hmm. uh, they're having their convention. So far, it looks like it's still happening. Oh, boy. I, 
I just can't picture it. I really can't. I'm somebody, I'm like, I'm trying to become a delegate and I'm just like, eh, I don't know. You know, this may not happen. So is it worth, I mean, cause we have to like put, we postponed um, our delegate selection. Um, it was supposed to be on the 21st of, well, next month. And now it's gonna, it's been pushed back, I think to May 19th. And same thing with deadlines. Well, cause like we have, um, you can apply to become a district delegate or a party leader or an at-large and it's yeah it's all been pushed back i mean we haven't even like we just um had our dnc member election um we had to do it by mail we were supposed to have an um our our state party executive board was supposed to meet a couple weekends ago and we were supposed to have that election then but you know we had to cancel it so we did it by mail and the results have been uh, results of that election have been postponed indefinitely. So no one knows if they've like been reelected or if they've won or not. Damn. How do you postpone just saying what the results are? Like, what's the point of that? I honestly, I have no idea. Um, they're just saying like we're gonna we're postponing it indefinitely. But I'm like, again, well, there is a deadline. We have to know like who has won because they get sworn in after the convention. That's like a Mike DeWine move where the basically, uh, basically if uh, listeners of you don't know what happened in Ohio, basically hours before the state primary, the governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine says, you know, no, everyone has social distance. So we're just postponing the primary or for president. And there's already people that did uh, early voting. So they had no idea if, things were going to happen or not and it basically went to the courts and it was back and forth and eventually didn't happen but basically all day no one knew what was going on Mm -hmm. i saw that um yeah i mean in new york we uh vote our governor announced that we're moving our primary to a state primary so it's going to be in june 23rd However, that's actually. (laughs) Thank you for doing that. You get to have your primary on my birthday across the country. And then you're going to send her a cake. Get on the door. (laughs) Okay, Andrew Cuomo, if you're listening, you have to send Michelle a birthday cake. Do it. It'll make your brother feel better. (laughs) Yes, okay. We we probably. I'm not sure if we should be making jokes about Chris Cuomo having COVID 19. No, probably not. Uh, yeah but yeah it's just like it's so crazy i mean we're supposed to have like our next executive board meeting i think in august i mean supposed to we'll see at this point but um we the interesting thing is our state party we are not having a convention this year anyway because we had two conventions last year um so it was kind of we had so we had to have two conventions because our primary was moved up to March 3rd. It, it's usually in June, but the thing is in order to like get endorsements done um, ahead of the um, primary, they had to move our, um, we usually would have, we would have had our um, convention this year in February, but we had to move it back to November. So instead we, we had our regular convention last year um, in May, well, the end of May, beginning of June. And then we had our second endorsing convention back in November. So they're like, fine, we just won't have a convention in 2020. Um, which I'm kind of like, okay, but 
that kind of, I mean, in my opinion, that kind of sucks for people that, you know, ran to become delegates to the state party. Basically, they're like, after November, they're like, done. There's not really much for, you know, them to do. I mean, um, for those who are um, listening and not terribly familiar with um, how the delegate, um, our state party delegates work in California, um, a lot of them, about a third of them are elected at a district level. It's called um, ADEM. And in recent, in the last four years, it's become extremely competitive. Like in the past, like say, it's like a two hour, two or three hour caucus meeting where people come in, you're registered Democrat, you can vote for these people to become your delegates. In recent, in previous years, maybe like 30 to 50 people would show up. Um, in more bigger, in places in like LA or the Bay Area, in the past four years, we've had over a thousand people show up to vote in these things. So we've had to, you know, we've had discussions about how to, you know, change the process. Like, should we allow mail, you know, vote by mail or something like that? Because it's very hard to have a volunteer run meeting where over a thousand people are showing up to vote in these things. So people have put a lot of effort now. They have slates. They basically, you know, they run, you know, campaigns and spend a lot of money to get elected to these seats. But um, especially for this term, if you, again, if you ran to become a delegate, your kind of your job is now like over, you know, um, and because we're the next elections will be in January of 2021. Um, so, um, yeah, so the basically, um, that's one way to become a delegate. I'm a delegate because I'm a um, elected member of my county central committee and in LA, we just have, we get so many spots and some, a lot of the time, you know, literally it's impossible to fill them all. So it's very easy to become a delegate that way. And um, the other third are mostly um, all the, every democratic um, statewide leader, um and each either congressional representative or top vote getter and state um, assembly or state Senate, either top getter or member, they get to appoint delegates as well too. So um, I think how many do we have about 3,600 or 39, about 3,900 delegates statewide in California that Damn. make up our party. Damn. Um, and I suppose you probably can't do all that by video conference. No, that would be really difficult. I mean, we've had some, um, we had a couple of, I guess we call them t um, conference calls recently or tele-town halls. Um, but yeah, uh, like I said, it's going to be interesting to see how it all um, ends up moving forward. Um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> mm -hmm. So Michelle, I'm not sure if you heard about this or knew this, but yesterday was Ben's birthday. So. Oh, that's right. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I would say that we should sing happy birthday, but uh, because there will be an audio lag, probably won't be a good idea. We tried that last night on a Zoom call. It was not good. a good idea. It was mm -hmm. terrible. Quality. Somebody very spontaneously decided that they needed to sing to me and convinced everyone else to join in. <laughs> um, the enthusiasm levels were mixed, but you know what? It happens. Well, I, need, I don't need a masterpiece. I just need lots of people from different areas of the country, and in last night's case, at least one person in Japan, uh, all, you know, trying wow. to sing me at once. Then we all played uh, Cards Against Humanity, which... Evil as always. Mm, and I, I haven't played that forever. 
I'll pride myself on being a terrible person. Uh, and I did not win either of the games. I am slacking. <laughs> I think being away from people to this extent has at least somewhat blunted my normal delightful curmudgeonliness. And I, I don't know, that just doesn't seem right. Hmm. Huh. I haven't played Cards Against Humanity in a while, but um, it's like, I feel like it's the kind of game you could either do very well at or very terribly at, at least in my experience. I don't know. I think I guess it depends on who you're playing with or what um, kind of sense of humor people have, because like mine tends to be terrible, kind of on the dry side. And like, I know a lot of people aren't like that, but for me, it's mostly I can I definitely want to go with the darkest thing possible. Mm-hmm. However, I was you're always I was always given very bad cards. Uh, mm. Yeah. Uh, my personal favorite was one person uh, played, which I was uh, card shark in that one. I had to say yes. It was amphetamines plus meth equals my constituents. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> And weirdly, I know some districts, I will not say where, where that could actually be applicable. You know, I think we already spent enough time the last episode talking about Tiger King, so... (laughs) I have not, I I haven't, I have Netflix, but I just haven't watched it. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to watch something that everybody else is watching. It just seems too popular. (laughs) It's not about, well, I mean, some of it's about watching, but it's the communal experience. (laughs) It's also because you're just going to watch this and you'll be like, there's no way this is real. And then you'll get to the next five minutes and you'll say, how the hell did this happen? This, there's no way this is real. And, and it's basically that for about seven hours. It's a lot it's of crazier. following the news in general in 2020. Hmm. So it's like, is it like super you know, ironic or, you know, it's just a, re- <laughs> or just a reflection of the times. Yeah, pretty much. Just things yeah. are going to keep escalating and become weirder and weirder. And at some point, you're just going to be getting used to the idea that it's not going to let up in the crazy. Um, kind of like how just in the real world, I mean, with everything that we've already seen in 2020, the fact that, you know, we've spent the entirety of March dealing with a global pandemic. Um, I think if you tell people that we are literally going to get an army of giant monsters marching forth from the ocean... Uh, in April or maybe May, depending on just what their schedule is like. I haven't really checked. Uh, there's a point where people are just going to expect that and, you know, wonder how much longer work is going to be closed. Mm. Personally, I'm going to find that. A- well, if anything I've learned, I guess it really did take a pandemic to um, shut down the entire state of Nevada. Um, as somebody who, you know, has been going to Vegas since I was two years old, um, I just, I'm like, this is literally the first time I've ever seen it completely shut down. Um, really impressive. That actually, that is honestly one of the scariest thoughts I've ever had because I am, I love Vegas. I won't go into what I've done there, but I love Vegas. (laughs) Michelle, so you've been going to Las Vegas apparently that frequently your entire life. Tell me, what's your game? High gal poker. Something I the one thing that I um the one thing my dad and I have in common, and he taught me how to play it. And his dad played it. I don't know if his dad, if my um great grandfather played it or not, but um I definitely know gambling does go back 
gambling um, in Nevada goes back a couple generations on my father's side. And so, um, you know, he's like, hey, you know, you should, he was like, hey, let's play Pie Gal. And, you know, and I kind of got into it. I haven't played it in a while, but, um, you know, it's like there's a certain amount of skill and I get it, it might be a little obscure to most people, but um, for those who are not familiar with the game, it is, um, it's seven card poker. Um, basically your goal is to get, you get seven cards and you got to create two different hands, a five card high hand and a two card low hand. And um, there's various rules and strategies that kind of go with it. And the way it is, you are not playing against fellow players, you're playing against the house only. So everything kind of comes down to the dealer's hand, whether you can beat that hand or not. And Ooh, that sounds I'm, intense. Like I've always just been a five card stud person. I've never been able to learn Texas Hold'em, but oh. See, Texas Hold'em is the one that I mean. I, I remember when like that was just such a trend. Everyone learning Texas Hold'em, so that's always the game that I've known best. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that one of the probably I guess good things about Pi Gal is like as long as you're um like not betting obscene amounts of money, you'll have a much slower burn rate of, you know, like losing your money or whatever. So I, yeah, I found like, it's like, as long as you, you know, you bet pretty conservatively, you're not gonna, you know, go home broke or anything. So, so. after, you know, we get on the other end of this whole pandemic and the world is picking itself up, I, I'm imagining a very romantic, very sort of post-apocalyptic setting, the kind of thing that I've seen in way too many movies. Mm -hmm. Are your poker skills going to be what keeps you alive in the wasteland? Probably not, because like most people have no idea like how or what Pi Gal poker is. <laughs> Can you teach them to unify the world? Mm, I don't know. It's like every time I've tried to teach people something, it hasn't really. It, unity is not one one of the things that has actually happened, <laughs> unfortunately. But yeah, it's like. Um, like I said, I've, I've, I, it's just weird seeing the whole city or actually the whole state like that. I mean, because I've pretty much been around the entire state of Nevada. You know, I've been to Reno multiple times. I've um, Actually, have you guys ever heard of the town of Hawthorne, Nevada? I have not. I don't think so. It's a very small military town. I've been there multiple times because um, my family, you know, we like to on my father's side, they like to um, go up to the Eastern Sierras to go fishing. Um, you know, while actually a lot of them, they still do go up there. And they're like, well, we want to go gambling. But and that's the town of Hawthorne. Like they have one hotel and casino called the El Capitan. It's about 16 miles away. But I remember, you know, we would drive there to go have dinner and go gamble. That, yes, that's just how much we like to gamble. Like, the thing that, like, I also find crazy about, like, just the entire state of Nevada is, like, how, where you can find gambling. So, uh, I was, so I was there back in November for my boss's wedding, or my direct mm -hmm. supervisor, really. And as luck would have it, someone we all know, Tia Hopkins, was also, mm -hmm. uh, decided to actually meet me in Vegas. She was mm -hmm. on my dates to the wedding or anything, we just, but we all started gallivanting together. And at one point, I was like, okay, let's go to do a trip up to the Hooper Dam. So we actually got in a lift, and we took it 40 minutes, <laughs> yes, uh, to the Hooper Dam. 
Wait, How much did that my... cost? Actually, only like 40 bucks each way. Huh. Mm-hmm. I would have expected it to cost a lot more, but okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we found out she was only being paid like maybe $20 or so for the first uh, trip, so I paid out of pocket, like in cash, for the second oh, okay. round. Because mm-hmm. like, we felt bad. Mm. Um, but yeah, we became so like we took the tour and everything, and our driver actually like uh, took the tour with us. But she was saying that like how you can like go gambling in the grocery store, which was just oh, yeah. nuts. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, I just went to get like some sodas and stuff from my hotel room, and there was like some like Seven Eleven or something right around the corner from the hotel. We were not on the strip; we were at the Platinum, mm-hmm. and the there was like a like the video poker machines there, and it just. Mm-hmm felt out of place but also they were the, the really old old ones were like 1970 so like you feel kind of almost gross playing it it mm. has years of experience Seamus <laughs> <laughs> wow I didn't even know like they had machines that old still like in operation because it, it probably just, like... it probably weren't that old but they just huh. felt that way you know because it was just very 1980s, 70s ish graphics. It was so, all like buttons. Huh. Yeah, because like there's really strict laws regarding the resale of slot machines. Like, so I actually, I happen, I own a couple slot machines. They're from like, I think the 30s or the 40s. And it's like, I think in order to like, I, I think this is still the law in California. Like if you want to buy or like bring back a used slot machine it has to be over 50 years old. Otherwise you legally cannot bring it, you know, purchase it or bring it back into the state. Are those like <laughs> the old mechanical ones that like people would try to like hack with uh, magnets in their rings and stuff? Probably. I mean, yeah, they're like, they're completely manual again. I mean, they're like, I think they're like from the, yeah, the, the 30s or one I think is from the 30s. I think one is from the 1940s. Um, so yeah, that's, they're like the super, super old school type of ones. Um, this just makes me continue like the mental image I have of you starting a casino after the apocalypse is over. <laughs> sure, I mean, so you got a couple slot machines, set up a card table. Um, sure, why not? Or something and turn those into the hot new racing animal. <laughs> Does it have to be uh, rabbits? No, like let's choose some like something. Yeah. Well, they do populate very or very quickly, so maybe that could be easy thing for breeding. But why not like gerbils? Hmm. I think we still have a lot of um. And it's um. It's interesting. So like, I live about four miles from my alma mater, and they were known for like having like a ton of squirrels roaming around campus. You know, we have a lot of squirrels out here. I mean, they're not native, but but they're there. Ooh, yeah. Squirrel racing. Now that, that now you're talking. So yeah, we can you know get some you know get some squirrels and do yeah, let's have squirrel racing. Michelle's <laughs> famous squirrel races. I can see it in lights now. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting. We had um, I remember there was somebody once um, in our neighborhood had a cat. Um, he, it was a really mean cat, and he. Um, it would like never come near us, but I we remember one time seeing him like walking across the street, and he had a whole squirrel in his mouth. 
None of the cats I've ever had, including the one cat I own right now, none of them have ever been able to get a squirrel. But I, I was just surprised, like I, just a regular domestic cat would be able to get a whole squirrel. It was like, so I remember it was the day before Thanksgiving, my freshman year of college, and there was like this whole reunion thing that my high school was doing. And my best friend from high school and I were taking a walk after the reunion in this one park near our school uh, in Union Square. And we see this one guy who's like, starts like staring at all the squirrels. He's like, <laughs> I'm from, I'm from Italy. I, we don't have squirrels here. These things, these things are awesome. And he's like following the squirrel around for like 20 minutes. And the guy's obviously high on something. And then finally, at one point, the squirrels is picking up some piece of whatever on the floor and puts it in his mouth. He says, look, that squirrel, it's bulimic. I, I told you, those squirrels are crazy. And my friend and I are just like, let's get as far away from this dude as possible. That man is going to have a great time over the next few months as the animals come and reclaim society. Uh, you think you're seeing a lot more animals out now. Just imagine how much fun the squirrels are going to be having over the next couple of months. Well, I once was, I remember when I was in, when I was at school, I had a squirrel try to stalk me. Like I was, I was eating lunch outside and this squirrel was like, cause you know, they, they're hanging around people. They get very confident. This, this squirrel was like staring at me. And like, every time I, I like took a bite of my lunch, it was like, it was just like nodding its head. It was just freaky as hell. Actually, have any of you ever seen um, Foamy, which is the Ill Will Press? No. no? It was like big in like the in the aughts. It's this uh, web comic of this very goth girl named Jermaine and her pet squirrel Foamy, who is basically just like evil and planning on taking over the world and all Foamy's friends. So there's one guy who's called like Pilsies who was like on all this medication for every single ailment but like it was totally insane one friend of his who was british that like also wanted like i think like at one point wanted to kill queen elizabeth it's of course all comedic but <laughs> google it like when you have a chance like ill will press you'll find it and it's so it's, if you're into dark humor, you'll enjoy it. So Ben, you'll definitely love this. I feel like we have just veered off into the dark side of squirrels for a good chunk of time. <laughs> and frankly, I squirrels, think... Squirrels... Well, for, first off, squ squirrels are probably going to take over the world. Let's face facts. Oh, like, oh yeah, I mean... No, speaking of off. animal... Speaking of animals reclaiming um, their land, uh, I know in San Francisco, um, because they've been on lockdown, I think, or they've been, um, yeah, core, or yeah, well, I guess shelter in place for um, the longest time in California. Um, I've, there's been reports that they've had coyotes like actually ro roaming around the urban areas in the city, like straight up coyotes on the street. I haven't seen well, too many of them. I did have a literal swarm of turkey buzzards just decide to gather on a tree across the street from my house a bit over a week ago. Um, I know. Well, this has been going on for years, too, um, like near my neck of the woods. Um, well, we do have our um, mountain lions. So we, we have them tagged and we do track them, but they... 
they often, you know, they get into um, more populated areas. Um, unfortunately, <coughs> some of them ended up getting, you know, hit by cars or they end up, or people end up killing them. But um, mountain lions, they're not afraid to go into like residential areas or anything. And so th but they've been doing that for a really long time. They have now, but really, so, are they going to so. be able to stand up to the squirrels? Oh, so it's like going to be mountain lion versus squirrel. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think I could see who wins that one. <laughs> You'd think, right? But then you've got the speed and the quantity. Somewhere, I assume, there is a very, very charismatic squirrel general just launching wave after wave of bushy-tailed shock troops at whoever their most recent nemesis is. Mm. This has become like the new version of, uh, what was it, Pirates versus Ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we're going to be taking bets on in the future. Gee, maybe. I wonder if there's a way to monetize that. Okay, it's so y'all want to bet on the mountain lines, you want to bet on the squirrels. Oh, yeah, you can get lots of lines. Like, you know, how long will it take for your first line to go down? How many squirrels are going to be taken out in this one? Uh, are you going to see any of the flying squirrels? Um, will they, like, start paying any other animals to assist them, you know, as mercenaries? You see the mountain lions start to retreat, and then I don't know, suddenly a bunch of jackrabbits start showing up. These mm. are the things that I think about when I have too much time by myself. <laughs> or as also feels borderline that we're stealing a uh, uh, scene, stealing something from Rick and Morty. Remember, what was it? Like, there was the episode where uh, Morty's like mind poppers or something like that. Morty's mind blowers, I know the bit. <laughs> yeah, yes, and then there was the one where Morty gets the ability to speak to squirrels, and no, mm -hmm. no, I know that. Okay, I haven't seen much. I'm not proud of the fact that my mind did briefly go there, but it did. Ah, <laughs> hmm. uh, but yeah. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of hard to segue from like mountain lions versus squirrels. Um. <laughs> You just got to be imaginative. You can do it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely uh, it's going to be an interesting time, and you know, to see how all of this you know ends up at some point. <laughs> um, so, what are you doing to sort of keep yourself amused while you're stuck at home most of the time? I know you said you've still got your business going, more or less. Yeah, I still have my business going. On. Yeah, uh, pretty much like again, like the most boring stuff ever. Um. You know, trying to catch up. I, actually, I haven't even really made that much of a dent in my whole like, you know, streaming queue. You know, I have Netflix, I have Hulu, I have my cable service. Um, well, actually, over the past year, um, I've really gotten into beer money because like, I don't really like spending my own money at Amazon, but if I can like earn Amazon gift cards, that like somehow makes it okay, if that makes any sense. So yeah, I've kind of like gotten into like, you know, trying to like find, you know, ways to like earn money through that, like from random apps, surveys, um, digital scratchers and all that other like kind of stuff. Um, let's see, um, good Red there's a good Reddit forum, um, Reddit, you know, r slash beer money. Like that's pretty much where I've like, you know, found out um, a lot of like, play like, you know, a lot of the good apps or sites to use. Um, let's see, what are some good ones? Um, I like, like for earning, well, for earning, like, okay, well, if you're on Android, it's Amazon, but if you're on um, Apple, it's for iTunes, Quick Thoughts, 
is that's some of the higher paying ones for surveys. Um, there's a really good one based in Great Britain called Prolific that like just pays out like PayPal cash. Um, that one's pretty good because um, it's a lot of like more academic surveys. Um, and if any of those potential sponsors are listening, you know, hit us up. You know, we always want money. <laughs> you know, it's this way we can get better beer money or better and better, more beer money and also better sound equipment. So you meant both of those. It's okay. <laughs> How do you, okay, yes. more beer money or more better beer money, whatever. I don't know. That's what I originally said. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely. It's <laughs> so I do a lot of that. Um, I don't know. It's like, I kind of like wish I was like one of those people that were like, oh my God, I'm using this entire time to be much more productive. And I'm like, well, yeah, I've been like a little productive, you know, cleaning up stuff or whatever. Liars, Michelle. Nobody can see them, so nobody can check them. <laughs> They've cleaned up like 10 square inches of their house and put that on the Instagram. And they want you to believe that that's their entire life. Or everybody's like, oh, I'm learning to cook right now. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I have this like box in my kitchen with numbers on it. And all I have to do to, is to cook is to put this food in it and push some of those numbers. And if I wait two and a half minutes, there'll be food. That Speaking of food. That's how you get on jobs. <laughs> Speaking of food. So our friend, Justin Holzenbeck, posted on, on Facebook a question I will post to the two of you. Is a chicken nugget meat a meatball? No. No. Absolutely if you know not. the pro if you know how it's processed, I would say yes. If you don't know, it isn't. Meatball. It is very specific. A nugget is not a ball. Yeah, exactly. It's not even that it's like if anything, a nugget is like it's a small patty. That is not a ball. <laughs> like a but very you, tiny one. Have you ever seen like actually how they make chicken nuggets? I don't want to. Yeah, yeah isn't that like, no. I'd like where that whole pink slime thing came from? Basically. But if you ever watched it, you would agree it probably is. So, let, let, me, let me frame it this way, Seamus. What would you think if I gave you this mental image? Putting chicken nuggets on top of spaghetti. You could make it work. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably eat that. You'd probably make it work. Because right, I, mean, I literally... I trust had turkey meatballs in, in pasta, so for dinner. So make it work. I stand by my answer. I know I watched a lot of chops, so I think it you could make almost anything work. Um, but yeah, it's like I mean, I've been like, oh hey, maybe you know, now I'll finally make those cupcakes that I've been meaning to make. I still haven't done it yet. <laughs> <laughs> You literally, it's like, oh yeah, I have to like find the time to actually to make cupcakes, and I again, I have just not like I have not done it yet, but it will it will happen soon. It will happen soon. I'm not baking anything, but I am cooking dinner every night, which my family does really enjoy because I they think I'm a really good cook, and I guess I am. Uh, but what's up with this whole like obsession now with baking bread? Well, I think it's hmm. Bread is really good in general. It is a staple of most societies. Uh, it smells amazing to bake. And since most people don't think about doing it most of the time, I imagine it gives them a feeling of accomplishment. Plus, there's been some rumors going around that there might be bread shortages. 
I might be feeling some of it. Is everything like? Is there going to be a like going to be a shortage? Because also there's a whole belief in toilet paper, which they create an app no, that, that literally. <laughs> they literally create an app to tell, like that would teach you how much toilet paper you actually need. I will not yeah. anyone me how much toilet paper I use. This is America, <laughs> damn it. We've already lost so many things to this virus. We can't lose that. See, that's yeah. kind of what I miss, you know. Um, I miss just being able to, you know, say if I wanted to make something, I was missing an ingredient or two, I would just run out and get it. Now I have to, like, try to plan out all my shopping, like, for the next, like, week or two. Because, you know, you're not supposed to just go out, run out and go get something. Like, that's definitely something that I, I miss being able to do. I will say one thing, like, I've weirdly stocked up on those, um, where are they, pure or bare apple chips. They've become like my new staple of my diet, which I think that my doctor will probably really love because I never eat breakfast. So now I actually am eating. <laughs> I'm also just, getting... I'm just, uh, it's also, I'm kind of slightly annoyed too, because like two of the places where I would like normally like, I would like get certain types of food items of like, temporarily or at least like indefinitely closed for the time being um tj maxx and like all the their other stores and cost plus i mean though i like at least cost plus like they still have online ordering but tj maxx and marshall's and home goods like they even shut down their websites that seems unnecessary I'm like that it's a little extreme for sure because I'm like you know you could still sell stuff but they're like well you know we're we're so concerned like we don't even want to like operate our warehouses or anything and yeah like you know sometimes I would I'd get a lot of Lily Poulter same there. thing which don't ask me how I know about that <laughs> but yeah I know it's also it's like too with cost plus you know they had that like if you're a member they had that great they have this great deal where if you buy like six or more bottles of wine or alcohol you would get like 30 percent off like the retail or sale price and so now it can't do that because they don't sell liquor online no that that would just be hurtful yeah it hurts like that <laughs> Okay, Is seriously, can we have like some sort of federal ban on like blue laws? On what? On blue laws. That's mm -hmm. like basically the catch-all for all alcohol-related laws. Oh yeah, I remember. Like that was that, that was an issue at the Utah um, National Committee meeting a couple of years ago. Like I remember, like so California, we like we got an Airbnb and. It was like Saturday night, but the problem was like all like the state-run liquor stores, they were all closed and you could only get alcohol that was like 4% or below. And they're like, well, we want real alcohol. And there was actually some talk at the time. Hey, maybe we should try to go like drive up into um, Wyoming or something and like go get out, you know, yeah, just go across the state line, see if we can go get alcohol back. It won't take that long. I mean, that eventually they got shot down, but yeah. Oh. Uh. See, I wasn't it at was that just... meeting, but they'd had a meeting in Salt Lake City uh, several years before where I had a friend from college who grew up there and had moved back after she graduated, take us around to all the, you know, places that were still fun in town. And so I had the experience of, you know, going to Salt Lake City and then promptly being taken to a piano bar where I could see people twerking, which is not what I would have expected flying out there. Well, my very first YDA meeting was the YDA meeting in Las Vegas, and that was 2011. That was 
the best meeting ever. Mm. Closest I got to anything like YDA um, related in Vegas was um, when we kind of, we sort of like had a mini meeting or, well, that was supposed to be the retreat, but it was sort of like a mini meeting in conjunction with the DNC and um, October of 2017. So there, were, there was a lot of YDA people there, mm -hmm. but it was mostly for the DNC. So, um, and of course, you know, Vegas has open container laws. So, you know, you can, you have those like stupid yard long things you can like walk around the strip with. And of course, also I remember the um, Puerto Rico meeting five, I can't believe that was five years ago where, you know, again, they have no open container laws and the drinking age is 16. Wait, that was is? fun. That. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Did not know that. Well, I also wasn't like involved in YDA that time. Mm. Uh, New York was going through, through its transition period. <laughs> what? I said our entire takeaway from this part of the conversation is that we all really miss traveling and drinking with friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we're like reminiscing about, oh, I remember that time. The Puerto Rico meeting, that was a really good about meeting. Us, bigger picture, um, but there it is. So we are. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, no, that was that, that that was quite of time. Trust me. I mean, it was Puerto Rico, and almost you know they make you know they one of the best places in the world to get rum. So yeah, that, that it's was. Totally <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I you know it's just it, it it's kind of like it, it's just so weird to think like are things gonna ever go back to like what they were before or like, are we have just like completely changed for um, going forward? Like things will never be the same ever again. I think like it's gonna think, be sort of. I'd like to think that there's gonna be some adjustment to the status quo. People are gonna be more appreciative of, I don't know, some things that either they had to experience more of during this sort of unofficial quarantine period or they're going to understand different ways. Hmm. I think we're going to start to go back to like how things were because cool. so we all remember 9-11 mm -hmm. and you do you all remember what happened to Thursday before 9-11? Mm. No, I don't. No. Mm -mm. It was the MTV Video Music Awards, and it was the one where Britney Spears was on stage with the snake doing I'm a Slave for You. Ah, uh, yes, supplied by Doc Antle. Wow. You did? Well done. So, basically, the whole idea was are we going to be able ever to go back to where we were in pop culture after 9-11? And we changed. Uh, I think it's just going to be that we will adapt, but I think a lot of things are going to go back to how it was. And mm. I think the way that this is, but while it was still sane, Mayor Giuliani goes on night on uh, Saturday night live after 9-11 and says, you know, to the cast and crew, you know, keep doing what you're doing. This is what makes New York great. Lauren Michael says, can we be funny? And Giuliani says, why start now? Oh. <laughs> See, I think wow. the here is that with 9-11, there was a sense of defiance because that was an act perpetrated by people 
that had to do with, you know, in, I mean, there were a lot of other factors to it, but there was also a culture clash involved. Whereas this is something that is mostly out of our control and is defined by what people are losing in order to get away from it and to be able to, you know, to defeat it. Um, and I think that's going to cause a massive reevaluation of what people care about. How that's going to mm. translate to, say, the upcoming elections. Mm. I could write a long, probably very, very, nobody would actually enjoy reading. I'm just putting it out there that I could if anyone wants to pay me to do that. Um, That'll be the next season of our podcast. <laughs> Well, I know what, what I've, I've been. Um, yeah, what I've been seeing a lot is a lot of people think that the um, restaurant industry will be completely changed after this because the thing is, so like the large corporate restaurants, they got, they got a ton of money, they can ride this out. But like the smaller, you know, independent dining places and food trucks, like a lot of them, on average, maybe have fifteen days worth of expenses of operating expenses banked up. So what you might see is you're going to see a dining landscape that's more dominated by corporations versus um, more like mob, quote unquote, mom and pop um, operations. Because most of them, it's just going to be, it's incredibly difficult for them to like just run, an, um, run, run a restaurant just strictly based on takeout and delivery. Like the profit margins are already thin and you just may see them like most of them completely disappear, which would you know, just suck because, you know, who, who wants to see a, you know, a varied um, dining landscape completely disappear? You know, I have this hope that people are going to come out of this with enough of an appreciation for those experiences and sort of the need to re-engage with community that those are going to start thriving again once they can reopen. Mm -hmm. But then again, I'm also trying not to be cynical about that. <laughs> say, you know, let's screw it, Applebee's, it's there, let's go back anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, hey, if you're listening, go to your local establishment again. Applebee's can wait. The appetizers may be cheap, but they're not actually that good. <laughs> yeah, I've actually, I've never been to, I've never been to Applebee's. <laughs> uh, they will tell you that they're selling very, very cheap margaritas, and they are literally just sugar. It is the worst. Mm. Well, because um, I have a family member that like really likes going to Chili's, so... Chili's is like our Applebee's, but actually their margaritas aren't that terrible in my experience. I mean, for what they are, I mean, especially like the $5 ones, like, but. <laughs> I'm right now really holding in an, uh, an urge to do an impression of Fat Bastard. <laughs> I'm my baby, back baby, back baby, back baby, back baby, I'm my baby, back 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 Chili's baby, back lips, barbecue sauce. Well, on that okay, note. <laughs> well it's been great potting with you all references. you don't need that in your lives people uh, that's another thing we could use another of mm. another Austin Powers another Austin Powers and another national treasure I think we'll mm. try to get Mike Myers on one of the upcoming shows and we'll talk to him about that mm. he's here's birthday with Austin me Powers. there you go all right. Well, Michelle, thanks a lot for coming on. We would love having you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you for having me here. I appreciate it. You want to give a quick shout out to you because uh, you do most of your business online. Tell us the name of your shop. Uh, it is on Instagram. It's called Fishy Vintage. 
you can again go on Instagram and search for Fishy Vintage and it will pop up. <laughs> we'll give you a shout out on our social media. Everything is at, yeah, at quarantine. <laughs> Seriously, try saying that five times fast, audience. You can't do it. I guarantee you. Cookiequarantine.com. Cookiequarantine. Boom. I hate you, Ben. Bow to me. And <laughs> <laughs> on that. All right. Um, Our theme music is produced by Andrew Nakarada. This is Seamus Campbell. I am the producer. I'm this is Ben Cohen. I am not the producer because that takes effort and I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> We've been joined by Michelle Elmer. Thank you so much. Thank you again. Have a good Thank night, you. y'all. <laughs> Stay safe. <laughs>